Right, it's time for some honesty. Not every founder is a whiz when it comes to finances. Sometimes we are too busy, sometimes we've got other priorities, and sometimes, if you are anything like me, sometimes we are just not number people. It's natural, but speaking from personal experience, it can also be really stressful, since knowing where your money's going is so important for any growing business. Clio, who happened to sponsor this podcast, are the solution that puts all of your spending in one place. Buy what you need with their smart credit cards, which are beautifully compatible with Apple Pay and Google Pay, I must add. Then snap the receipt with your phone instead of losing time to endless expense reports. Every purchase is tracked in the Plio system, so you can get the total picture of your company's finances, which means that there's no need to worry about late payments or surprise credit card bills. Oh, and Plio also now handle invoice processing and payments too. The very best bit, they are offering all she can she did listeners, if you are a new customer that is, your first three months of Plio for free. Just head to plio.io to set up a demo using the link in the show notes. And make sure to mention the She Can She Did podcast when prompted. Their amazing team are on standby to set you up with the offer, even if you happen to be listening to this episode months after its release. Before we start today's chat, I am so, so excited to reveal that She Can She Did has now rebranded to Candid, a new kind of networking for more candid conversations. Though this podcast will be keeping its original name, if you've resonated with our focus on cutting through the overnight success noise on here and want to connect with other women who are craving transparency and meaningful connections too, find out more about the Candid Network and why we're different by visiting meetcandid.com or come and say hello on Instagram. We're now at meetcandid. I'm on standby if you have any questions before you sign up and really do, fingers crossed, look forward to welcoming you on board soon. As the founder of Bridge Models, a curve agency representing models, influencers and artists internationally, with offices in both London and New York, I must add, Charlotte Griffiths knows a thing or two about seeing a gap in the market and bridging it by recognising people for their talent, not their size. From the realities of the early days back in 2014, where she lived off savings and worked silly hours around the clock, to how she's learnt to add more structure to the team in her diary as the business has scaled since then. What launching the UK's first men's division for bigger, broader models in 2016 involved behind the scenes, and how she protects the welfare of said models if and when they face criticism online. To what the past seven years of being a founder have taught her about herself, she is one incredible lady. This is Charlotte's story so far. I mean, we were both just saying the sun is out. It's a Friday before the bank holiday in May. We're both ready to switch off, but I've grabbed you just to get this hour in and we'll kind of go through it. And hopefully, like we were just saying, therapy, you get it all out and then have a good bank holiday. So with that said, are you happy to just let us know what your business is all about in your own words and we'll go from there? Yeah, of course. So my name's Charlotte. I run Bridge Models. It's a modeling agency based in London. We've got offices in New York now as well. And the ethos behind the agency is we bridge the gap in the industry. So we look for areas that are unrepresented to help to diversify across the board in not only media, fashion, film, television, 
really sort of a, a 360 approach. And, and that's the ethos behind it. We started by specializing in sort of the curve divisions and sort of representing women and promoting diversity in different shapes and sizes. But over sort of the last seven years, it's really expanded to not only representing men, but looking at influencers and artists and what diversity really means in a much larger scope. And I feel like especially what's happened in the past year has been such an interesting time for that in particular. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And we'll come on to that. I'm really interested in where this came from, because I'm sure there's so many young women out there that think, God, it would be so amazing to run a modelling agency. And it does sound when you say it like it's such a glamorous job, you know, <laughs> surrounded with beautiful people, London office, New York office, People must look at you and think, God, Charlotte's living the life. But I'm so aware that there's, you know, like you said, seven years of work and probably a bit before the seven years started leading up Mm. to this. So can you kind of give us an overview of where the idea came from? Like what inspired this? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd I'd worked in a few agencies beforehand, some that had done what they call the straight size division, which is just models sort of up to size eight. (laughs) Didn't really enjoy, I know. (laughs) didn't really enjoy the ethos behind the agencies. I found that if I'm being 100% honest, it's affecting my sort of mental health and how I was viewing my body by working in those agencies. And I then started to work for a company called Hughes, which came over from Australia, Hughes Models. And curve modeling and plus size, even though I hate the word, had really sort of kicked off in Australia first. So we were really far behind in the UK. And this wonderful woman, Cheryl Hughes, had brought this agency over to the UK and was really, you know, wanting to promote that division and promote women in that way. So I actually started working for that company and I loved it. I loved the models. I loved everybody that I was working with. It was great. But as what happens quite a lot in this industry in particular, it got bought and and became part of of a bigger company. And everything that I kind of loved about it, the personal touches, the way we were building relationships with the models, the more sort of boutique approach was getting stripped away. It was instead ticking a box for another company that was like, oh, this seems, in my view, it seems trendy. So we're going to, you know, tick this box and we'll buy this division. And and I'd already known by that point, I was like, no, I don't want to lose my passion again. Like I just started to enjoy it. I've invested. And you get to a certain point, don't you? When you invest so much down one career path, you're like, no, you start to doubt yourself. You're like, do I enjoy this? Is it the people that I work? What is it that, you know, I know I enjoy it, but there's so many external factors that were ruining it for me so I was 25 at the time myself and a business partner decided to start bridge and we just were having these conversations where we wanted to be our own boss we wanted to be able to make decisions in our own timeline and to be able to sort of jump on an idea or a concept that we were really passionate about without having to go through the management structure because it kind of kills the passion when you're in the moment you've got an idea you want to run with it we just knew that we could action things a lot quicker on our own and mm. and we wanted to keep that boutique environment other smaller company that that we both really enjoyed being in that industry so that's really kind of where where bridge came from it was never with the view to compete with huge companies it was always with the view of being able to do the job that we loved and that we we knew we were good at with the ethos and the work environment that made us still enjoy it it's a tough industry it's one that isn't 100 supportive all the time it's very competitive 
and it can be very, very sort of catty. It lives up to certain stereotypes in that way. And I really wanted to be able to have the decision of working with people that I wanted to work with so that I created an environment where it didn't drain me and I still enjoyed the job I loved. So yeah. it kind of grew from there. Sure. Just hearing you speak there, it reminded me of, I was listening to an interview the other day where Jake Comfrey was interviewing the CEO at Timpson, you know, the key company. The key yes, company. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have a clue until I listened to that about their company culture. But he basically, everyone that works at Timpson, as long as they don't smoke in the shop, they dress smartly and they're there on time, basically, are allowed to do whatever they want. So if they're a manager in the store, or even just a customer service assistant, and they want to, someone comes in and says, I need 50 keys cut, but I've only got 20 quid. They have the authority to just be like, yeah, sure, mate. And off they go. And it just what you were saying then, I remember thinking like putting that trust in the hands of all employees, that's so incredible. But what you were saying about not being able to make decisions and when there's management, all these different layers, it stifles it, doesn't it? You have really creative yeah. people with big dreams and sometimes they just need that like freedom of expression. But I, yeah, um, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, Charlotte. So <laughs> in terms of the business partner then, you said you work together. I always think, you know, it's one thing going for coffee and being like, oh, it'd be amazing if we could do this on our own and have a kind of pipe dream office chit chat kind of conversation. But then it's a completely different story actually doing it. So can you talk us yeah. through the actual step by step process that you went through to get Bridge off the ground? Running. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it was conversations. It was, you know, I'll put my hands up and say I wasn't the one who was the most confident in it. My business partner had had a few more years experience than me in the industry. We got on together really well. We, we felt like we were running the shop and doing things and we, we trusted each other's work ethic. And I think that's really important when you're going to go into a business venture with somebody. So she really just championed it and, and gave me that confidence. I was 25 at the time. You know, you're, you're nervous. You're like, oh, I'm meant to follow a career. I'm meant to, you know, stay in the system, living in London, one of the most expensive cities in the world. And you're thinking about shaking things up. And with that, you know, when you're going to make that decision that you're not going to earn anything, at least for the first year, two years. So it's a decision that not only is one that you have to make with the right person, because that's a huge element of trust, but it's the decision that we both had to go away and really speak to our families and our support networks, because you are pulling on them and there is a strain and they have to support you in the dark and the good times. So it's asking for their support in that way as well which was really really important and really for me I think one of the biggest catalysts is I was living in London my mother wasn't very well I was having to travel back and forth at the weekends I had to do you know working days in an office I couldn't prioritize because I wanted to have this work ethic I wanted to show my boss that I was you know dedicated and I was looking at my balance of time and I didn't get to spend as much time with her in the last few weeks that I would have liked to. So I felt like that really was like a lifestyle catalyst for me. But when she passed, I was like, no, I need to do stuff for me. I know I'm a good worker. I should have been able to leave earlier and spend more time and stuff. So that was a big catalyst of getting sort of bridge up and running I was like I need to do something for myself because I've given so much to this company and I didn't feel like the work-life balance in a corporate structure just really suited my work ethic really. Mm. I remember when we spoke on the IGT live you mentioned your mum and she was obviously your biggest supporter and, and then yeah. to suddenly lose her at the very beginning. I just take my hat off to you, Charlotte. And like like I said then, like, it just takes so much courage to push through that and create something as incredible as what you have done. 
Are you able to share, like, in terms of how quickly things kind of took shape? I think at the time it feels really quick, but then you sort of reference back and you're like, no, it was a lot of dining table meetings, tag teaming. Somebody was in charge of lunch. We'd switch between each other's houses. You know, what were we having that day? So it was in September time we created the company. I think I came on board in October time. I still wasn't sure it was a strange one. And and I fully committed in October. And then things sort of kicked off. We started scouting for models. We had to arrange a PR shoot. And I guess the industry term is we did like a soft launch, as in in the background, we were telling people and trying to build a website on Wix whilst pulling our hair out on a coffee table, just like taking it in turns to make the teas. And yeah, and we, we sort of did a soft launch. And then in the December that year, we did a PR event in London and we, we did everything from scratch. I remember wanting to seem like we were a big company and seeing at the time it was really popular to have your logo on cupcakes. Like it was yeah. a really trendy thing, but we couldn't afford that. So They're so we, expensive. They really are. They like, are so <laughs> expensive. No one appreciates so expensive. that. So we, we just cut all corners everywhere and we ordered like, you could order your logo on little icing discs, which cost like a fiver. So then I remember one evening roping my partner and we bought loads of little like tiny fairy cakes from Asda, made our own Charlotte, icing. Charlotte, I've been there. I've been there. Oh my <laughs> gosh. We did all of this just to make it look the part in an industry that was so much about that. So made like a hundred cupcakes. And I just remember, it was a great evening, the launch party, but I just remember going around and being like, do you want a cupcake? Do you want a cupcake? Like, we're so proud of these like... And people were like, no, not really fast. I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Yeah, a little hack for everyone. You can order logo, like you said, it's the sugar paper type stuff, isn't it? On Amazon or something. Make your own, do it yourself. I'm with you on that. I mean, how quickly did those initial conversations, did models say yes to you coming on board? Because I can imagine, given how competitive the industry is, especially in modelling, they want to get ahead. So what was the incentive for them to come on board with your company when you've got nothing to show to yourself? No, absolutely. And that was hard. It's it's hard conversations to have. You know, some of the models we would have met or known in the industry anyway. So some of it was they trusted us or, or liked our management style and, and knew that that was the most important element of it is that trust. Is somebody going to work for you? Is somebody going to push you? And our other view was just it was still such a niche market. So we were actually scouting and finding women who didn't even really know about it and didn't really think they could put themselves forward to be a curve model just thought you know that they were bigger than a size eight so it was a lot of driving around the country speaking to models trying to sort of get their trust finding the right models for the company as well because it's also about managing expectations you know you don't want to start off with a negative reputation because you are falsely promising the world that's just a a sure ticket to not going anywhere so it was really about having very honest conversations with people and growing with the models so finding new faces finding new talent who were excited about what was still like I said seven years ago still fairly new nobody even really knew of Ashley Graham at that point and now bless her she's everywhere you know so it's still very very new so I think it was I think that helped us because there wasn't so much of a precedent set and what we were doing was still quite unheard of. So I think it was it was exciting on both parts. Yeah, amazing. Do you remember the first kind of model that you placed and, and what that felt like? 
Yeah, well, the first model that we placed, she's called Teresa Randlova, and she was a female basketball player in Prague. So she had this gorgeous, like strong, athletic figure, but always considered herself to just be a bigger woman. But she was incredibly healthy, you know, had this amazing background. And I remember just meeting with her and she was in her 30s. And normally all the agencies we were at before would be like, no, they haven't got much left of their career. So it was amazing to be able to go, no, I see something in her. She's got this amazing story. Like these are the kind of people that I want to be pushing and representing. So yeah, so I remember taking her on board and, and just having that conversation with her. And, and yeah, it was it was wonderful. And, and now bless she's got her own family and she's doing her own thing. But yeah, I remember that really vividly because on paper, all the agencies we were at before would be like, oh, you know, but yeah, but her measurements aren't this. You know, she's in her 30s, so we've only got her for a good couple of years. Like all the kind of talk that would be thrown around would just be so degrading. And again, as I mentioned, mentally was affecting me. And I was like, no, I, I want to surround myself with women who I think are really inspiring and I want to represent them. So yeah, that was that was a really nice person to sign straight away. Oh, I love that so much. What were the challenges like in those early years before Bridge really started to gain momentum? Looking mm. back, you know, cupcakes aside, other challenges, like what, what did you really find hard about maybe, yeah, year one and two? I think it was gaining trust from clients, but also trusting clients. It was finding work, knowing your worth as a business, like negotiating the contracts, feeling like a, a small player in a big pool was really, really hard. And just learning as we went along, you know, you, you don't have the money to design a website. So every evening was spent doing the additional jobs that you weren't able to do during the day. So you are your web designer in the evening and you're watching YouTube tutorials, figuring out how to get your Instagram feed onto the website and how to figure out how to sync up your Outlook calendar or just simple things that caused a lot of issues that way. So I feel like over those two years, it was really hard to keep believing in yourself because you are constantly, and even though I had a great support network, I don't think people understand they're waiting for something to drop. I think your friends and family are like, can you pay yourself yet? Or where is it going? And, and you know, and they see you on this emotional journey where you have highs and lows. And because it's yours, the lows feel really low. And the highs, you don't really let yourself experience them. So your friends and family come on that journey with you. And I feel like one of the most hard things over those two years is knowing that you're asking that of them, you know, knowing that they're asking you, are you happy? Is this making you happy? Because I only seem to hear the stuff that's going wrong. And, and I don't know, I think that's a, a very, maybe that's a very British mindset, or maybe it's just across the board. But I felt like that was really difficult because a lot of the hardships were as a new company, working with brands, not knowing what rights you have, chasing for invoices, feeling like you're taking advantage of, you know, anybody will sort of try and take the mick, so to speak when you're a smaller company and you just knowing when it's time to say, no, I think we're worth this much and we're going to change the narrative and finding time to have those conversations with your clients who go, oh, hang on, you didn't charge that before. And it's like, we need to see our value and see our worth because we're chugging away at this. We've got to make that decision at some point. So 100%. definitely the, the strain on the family and then knowing when you should feel confident in yourself to go, now it's time we need to start taking ourselves seriously. Let's break those down then. I'm really interested in your advice for anyone listening to this when they are faced with those questions from family because they're coming from a really good place. 
that kind yeah. of are you happy were you in those first few years when it was such a roller coaster of trying to get things off the ground like what was your response to them and when I guess you know that people are it's curiosity as well isn't it but sometimes it can feel like a bit of an attack so how do you hold your nerve in that I think you know like you said it always comes from a good place I think you know I did get defensive because you're like well why I'm I'm doing something are you not proud of me is it not going well you know And what they're really asking for is for you to just take the time with yourself to reflect, because as everybody knows, you are working every hour. God sends. I barely ever saw my partner because I said, look, I get distracted. I just need to be by myself for a while and just crack on. And how I kind of dealt with those conversations, depending on who the person was, everybody has different triggers from different family members, but was just to sort of say, look, I've got to keep doing this. I've got to keep going. Like, no, I'm not confident right now or you know I I don't like feeling like a burden on family members you know I was living off savings but it couldn't last forever and just going well yeah but I can see that it's going to be something and I think it's just trying to reaffirm that for yourself and just be like no I, I know why I'm doing this and you have to sort of go back and go I don't think I could go back to working for somebody again. Like it was almost like sitting there going, well, I'm not skipping and I'm not ecstatic and it's not a movie and I haven't got a slow-mo with my Starbucks, like walking in town with my big glasses, thinking I've made it. Like I haven't got that happening, but I know that I couldn't go back. So I need the support to just keep going. And I know it's going to be something because I just, I just had to trust that in myself. But it was hard, you know, some certain family members, you just go, yeah, I'm super happy because you just don't want to deal. You want them to feel like you're okay. You're just like, yeah, it's amazing. Everything's going great. <laughs> but it's not because you want to boast. It's because you don't want to have to deal with that with, conversation. You know, the sympathetic, yeah, how's it going? And it's like, you know, and you get invited to go and, you know, friends holidays and you're like, I can't afford to, but you have a really good time. <laughs> but I'm really happy. Don't worry, I'm super happy. <laughs> you, you, so you, you, I'm doing great. <laughs> oh, I can relate. That's so funny. And what about your advice for when you knew that you had to kind of say, okay, enough is enough. It's time to take it to the next stage with pricing and negotiate that. Like, mm-hmm. because again, it's such a common thing. And I think it is never comfortable. So just kind of how you dealt with that uncomfortableness, if that's a word. Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a word. Let's roll with it. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah, it got to a point where we were working all the hours God sends. We were invoicing, billing money, and myself and my business partner were like, do we think we can can pay ourselves something? You know, after two years, we were having a look at the figures, and it's a very easy, slippery slope. And and we took, and I'm sure many companies do this, a very conservative approach. You're always the last one to pay yourself. You, you look at any money that's in the account and you go, well, could we reinvest that somewhere else? And, and do we need to save that in case, you know, we need to take somebody else on and all this stuff? And it was very easy to just keep going that way. I think, you know, very, very easy to just go, oh, no, 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 you know, we, we need to be really conservative. And we were looking at it and we just were like, you know what, it's been two years, we worked our butts off. If we can't start to pay ourselves something just something to to cover bills etc like that now then we're doing something wrong and it was kind of a very just a very honest conversation where we're like we know we're doing it because we love it and we enjoy it but we're doing something wrong we need to start competing and we need to start showing the worth and the value and 
And also, you know, the prices that we charge, you know, we were taking the time to develop models, like we were signing new models and new faces who typically don't command as high a rate, but we had been developing them and they were doing great. And we were like, well, hang on, it's our right for them as well, because when you negotiate the rate, that's the model's fee. We need to have faith in them and have faith that they're doing a good job and that they've got the experience and not be scared when a client says that budget's too much for us. I remember the first time that happened and you just have to let it go and you have to go, okay, no, 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 we know we made the right decision. And, you know, you have to have those conversations with the models. And again, it's very trusting. It's like, look, we think you're worth this. Do you trust us on this? And it's always, no matter what our ethos is, it's always down to the models. If they want to do a job, then we're never going to stop them from doing something. But when you have that closer relationship and you just say, you know, we think you're worth this and we think something else will come along. And then it's just trusting and hoping that it does. And um, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But it's saying thank you, but but no thanks. Sending that email and then tying your hands behind your back. <laughs> Literally silence. Don't say anything. Yeah, and you just walk away for a bit and keep my fingers and toes crossed. Oh my gosh, I remember two women I worked with, Jess and Nat, they said on one of the London Mingle panels that when they quote a price, they say it and then they shut up. If it's like, you know, face-to-face or email. because we always have that tendency to go, it'll cost this much, but this is what you get and blah, blah, blah. And we'll do this and this and this and this and this. It's like, no, this is what it costs. And I remember hearing that and being like, oh yeah, I should do that more. (laughs) We have to justify ourselves almost, don't we? We're like, oh my gosh. But yeah, very easy to do. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about then, when did the men's division come along? Mm -hmm. Or what came first, New York or men's division? So men's division came first. So yeah, so we launched with the women's division in 2014 and it times up with the two years that I was sort of talking about where we then went, we've got to shake it up. You know, we've got to start competing. We've got to start making big decisions. That's why we're doing this. And it's very important to go back to those ethos and go, well, hang on. We were doing this because we wanted to be able to make a move and make a decision without having to run it past loads of people. And it was having that conversation that led to the men's board, really. So we were doing, we'd been talking about it for a good sort of six to eight months. You know, clients have sort of briefly mentioned we were doing interviews and talking about diversity. And and again, going back to the ethos of the company about bridging the gap. And we were like, we, we need to bring men into the conversation it wasn't very diverse it was talking about body confidence and just presuming that men didn't have that problem which was very wrong so in 2016 is when we launched may 2016 so five years ago now when we launched our men's board in the uk and that was incredibly nerve-wracking you know we were the very proud to say it now but at the time you don't know how it's going to be taken but we were the first to do one in the uk the first to sign a big and tall male model that really was just such a growing experience or such a learning curve to go on that journey, meeting different models, sort of talking to them about it. And it was such a amazing time when we launched, but it's just not stopped since, which has been great. It's the men's area has just grown so much. So we launched the men's board in the UK in 2016. And then in 2019, we launched in New York for the men's division, just due to the demand. And again, it's you can get stuck in your laurels. I think you can you can get stuck in a routine. You go, this is going well. But if you constantly go back to the ethos of why you're doing the job and it's like, I want to be able to make the decisions that I feel are right at the time I want to do them. 
again that was kind of a reality check to myself with New York where I was like no I know this is a this is a good decision and the demand is coming from there so I'm gonna do it and I seem to get spurred every May I seem to do these launches every May something seems to happen I don't know what it is maybe I just enjoy springtime or something (laughs) but that seems to be that seems to be my time of the year I think there is something about that though that spring mentality like summer's near it's like the bloom season or whatever they call it I don't know I sound a bit woo-woo but I think there is something about that I'm really interested Charlotte about what the industry reaction was you know small fish big pond mm-hmm. you're launching the men's first division a good few years ago what was the reaction mm-hmm. like from press and peers within the industry it was it was mixed it was very sort of I'd probably say it was about 60% positive 40% negative it was you know that's hard yeah it was it was a strange one and it was a strange time we we launched with Ben Witt and he was just this great great guy um still with us today on Bridgeboard and he was a personal trainer very physically fit, but just, you know, didn't have the men's fitness physique or the, you know, six pack or whatever going on. So we were trying to make a very clear statement, you know, it's like, look, we're trying to show that health comes in different shapes and sizes. And and that's what we need to represent. The press were positive. It was actually more the online community of negativity that sort of came around. It was like, oh, you're promoting obesity and, and here we are, you know, saying that people don't end. But that, you've got to just drown that out because they're people that weren't clearly reading it. You know, he was a personal trainer. He was very physically fit. But sometimes, unfortunately, the online sort of trolling, et cetera, can just be incredibly negative and loud. So I view it as a positive time because people in the industry and journalists were very positive. It was just an online community that was just very negative and didn't like to see the change and and Mm. saw that big and tall men modeling was very feminine and very sort of derogatory terms that way as well. It's like, oh, you know, being a poser and all of this sort of vocabulary is being thrown around. But that was coming more from a public domain sort of space instead of accredited journalists. So it was Mm. interesting to get it from both sides, but it definitely picked up momentum. Yeah, I mean, I'm really interested in how you hold, well, the responsibility you felt there to respond, or did you respond, or when you're responsible for the welfare of those models, there's all of that coming in. And let's be honest, what they're saying, we don't agree with, right? So it's kind of like, do you respond? Or is it just a case of like, just leave it No, I think... The biggest thing was making sure that the models did feel supported anytime they did press, anytime they put themselves out there. It was having a very honest conversation about the digital space. You know, we have to look at that space. It's one that they they kind of need to live in. They need to be visible in to, to push themselves in that career. But we do have very honest conversations with them about the mental health behind social media and and those comments and you know, I did quite a lot of interviews with Ben at the time where I would go along with him to sort of support because bless him, you know, he trusted us and he was just thrust into the spotlight and was being dragged onto BBC IT, all this stuff. So it was it was about supporting in those moments as well as behind the scenes and going, you know, just try and drown out any negativity that comes through social media. If you don't want to be on the platform for a while, it's okay. We're not going to tell you you need to post if you don't need to, you know, we'll do all these bits and bobs. But yeah, it's not about, we don't respond. My kind of view and and best practice is just, if you have to respond to anything negative, respond with kindness, but otherwise don't put fuel on the fire or, or give attention to those spaces because it's very easy for them to be the only voices we all hear. So mm. I think that was really important at the time. 
thank you, Pleo, for handing over your ad space to me. So, you've started your business and it's beginning to build traction. Your branding looks great. You've perfected your product or service offering and you have a steady amount of customers or clients. But now what? How do you get from where you are now to the place you always envisioned for your business? How do you reach your target audience in ways that entice them to support you? And how can your business stand out in the market? Foss Creator Studio helps businesses, brands and people better connect with their audience through digitally native content creation and strategy. On the strategy side, I create personalised plans to help you understand what platforms and mediums are best for your growing business. And on the production side, I offer photography, videography and podcasts, including this one you're listening to today. Hi Fee! If you'd like to hear more about Foss Creative Studio, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Foss Creative Studio or visit fosscreativestudio.com forward slash welcome. It's so obvious that like how much you care about the welfare of everyone that like kind of comes under bridge in terms of the models. But in terms of as the company's grown, I know from our previous chat that you've obviously got the team now as well and the, the team's grown. Yeah. So can we talk about that experience? Because I always think it's one thing going from just you, a big to-do list, you're kind of juggling all the hats or plates, whatever the phrase is, yeah. and then it's like delegating that out. Yeah. Not everyone enjoys being a manager. I'm interested in what your experience has been like. No, of course. Yeah, it's 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 a hard one. When we took on our first employee, it was at a time we just launched the men's board my business partner was having a baby. So we were kind of forced to, but we probably should have done it sooner. We were at a point where we were like, okay, well, she's not going to be available for a while. And she was pushing me. She was like, Charlotte, we need to take someone on to support you. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. I've got it. I've got it. I've got all this all handled. Don't worry about it. And she was really pushing me. She's like, no, she was like, this is where my life's going and you need to bring people on. So I was probably the more hesitant one because it was just something else to do, wasn't it? It was like mm. training somebody and all this stuff. So adding to the to-do list. It's like yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And also when it's your company, you get very protective and it's a very, it's an industry that does struggle a little bit with loyalty. You know, it's, it's one of those industries that can be a little bit underhanded. And I was probably very falsely projecting previous experiences onto that going oh I don't want to trust somebody you know the company's still so new and we're going to give them access to everything and oh my gosh that's so nerve-wracking but it did it did get to a point where I knew it was the right decision and so we were interviewing people and we found our first employee and bless her she came to work we hadn't had an office at that time I'm sure she was like what on earth have I walked into she came into like a garage setup and I was like great (laughs) back to your desk I'm here, like, you know, it's all very informal. She was like, this is an office. And I was like, great. But she's still with us today, which is wonderful. And been through the whole journey and and seen it grow and, and seen all the different evolutions of the business, which is great. And then when you continue to grow the company, I was very lucky in the next person we took on was a photographer who we decided to work with on a PR event. And I really liked her work ethic. We did a, a gallery exhibition. We did a pop-up one-day gallery exhibition, which I never recommend because it means you have to put everything up and bring everything down. And what I didn't really think it through. But we did a pop-up gallery exhibition of her artwork and the hours she put in and the work she put in and how we communicated by doing this. I really saw that we had something. I was like, I really enjoy working with you. And she just finished university, you know, trying to find work. And I was like, look, I don't know what this position is. 
but I want to start working with you. Can you support us in some way? And bless her, she wore so many hats. She was in head of, you know, sorting out a new photographer's Tesla. The next minute she was doing marketing and all this stuff. And, and now she's running our influencer and artist division. So I was very lucky, you know, again, second time around and she's still with us, which is wonderful. And yeah, and then it just gets to points in the company when you, you have to start interviewing, you have to start looking for people and you have to start expanding. And I think it didn't get easier because I was so lucky with the first two employees and they're still with me today. So then it was like, oh, I just hope it's going to be so natural with everybody else I find. And and it's not like that. It got to certain points where I was like, okay, I do need to expand. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we did. And, and then we took on Adam and we took him on Dylan and we've taken on Ji Young and we're, we're expanding. So it's great. And I think it's about letting that trust happen and, and knowing that if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but it's okay. Yeah. So for me, it was definitely my own issues and I've been the most hesitant one in expanding, but it's always been for the better. And I always shoot myself in the foot afterwards, but yeah, it's always (laughs) been for the better. (laughs) I think it speaks volumes though that they're still with you, Charlotte, about the kind of company culture and you as a leader. I'm interested though in when it is a close-knit team like that, how you navigate the balance between being like a friend and like having that lovely culture, but also when there's work to do or the business isn't quite going, having the best month or whatever it is, you need to kind Mm. of step into that. Okay, let's, let's be serious here mode. How you navigate that? No, it's hard. It's really hard. And I think, you know, you can want to start a business and you can want to be your own boss, but it doesn't mean you're a good manager. I definitely have learned that over the years with myself. It's getting that balance of, because it is such a close-knit team. I also want to have fun and I also want to have a joke and have a pleasant environment. But then, yeah, you do need to switch. And you can see when you have to switch and have those conversations about targets or results or, or where something's gone wrong, that it does change the tone and it does feel different. And it is very, very hard. And, and that's probably my own mistakes in the past because I wanted to have a, a fun sort of joyous relationship. So I struggle with the boundaries and it's definitely about being supportive, but knowing when the time is to go, okay, you know, this is what I expect and this is what I need. And let's not take the mick or take me for a ride just because we're super, super friendly. And I think when I've had those conversations there, they're always met with, support but they're always also met with a little bit of shock at the first time and then I go I sort of realize that shouldn't be a shock I'm clearly doing something wrong if I haven't Mm. haven't communicated that sooner and I think looking at how we're expanding at this time it's really important to sort of try and find a company structure where I'm now sort of looking at having line managers and making sure that you know I'm not everybody's best friend and we need to sort of have a little bit more of a hierarchy but in the beginning you're asking a lot of everybody. So I do also feel very responsible and very aware that they've given a lot to me and I want to be supportive, but it, it is about having that balance that, that gets the work done and that gets that expectation and that level met. So it is hard. No, I can only imagine. I'm really interested in then in what the past few years of being a leader has taught you about that role, like leadership, leading a team and yourself. Yeah, I think what I've definitely learned is that even though I don't want to be in a corporate structure, there are definitely some elements that benefit team dynamics that I wasn't implementing. So, you know, I've done a lot more sort of targeted reviews with the team. I've gone through and asked them more about their goals, set deadlines, like they've actually thrived in kind of a little bit more of a structured environment in the last sort of 18 months. 
that I wasn't really facilitating before. I kind of went from the mentality of if you get the roles done that I need you to do, that's great and fantastic. But I think it's about looking at the team you've got and seeing what they actually are thriving on because you could have somebody who works really well on that flexi model and it's like, no, 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 you trust me to get on with it and that really suits me and I'm going to thrive. And then you can have others who are like, I need structure. And I think I was projecting because I really thrived in a flexi environment and being able to crack on and do it. I was projecting that on my team, thinking they were all going to feel the same way, but it's okay for others to want a structure, to know that they're doing well and succeeding. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I was really providing that before, like sort of clear deadlines and great, you've met this and this is how we know we're doing really well. And I've now sort of been able to evaluate, especially with the quieter time last year and go, where is it going wrong? And I think that is something where I was projecting what I liked my work environment to be. But sometimes others just want to know how they're doing and they want to have regular updates and Mm. regular targets and have that sort of competitive atmosphere. And I was like, oh, God, how did I not see that? How did I not see that's what you were all craving? I was just projecting my own thing onto it. So I've definitely learned that. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think this is what's always so fascinating about running a business. And, And when it grows, it's like on day one, you wouldn't have seen that scenario being something you'd have to deal with but then suddenly the business kind of gains momentum and you find yourself kind of expanding and suddenly you have to put proper structure in and all of this and yeah and you're having to do it with old timers as well you're like they're like this never was there before and I'm like well we're gonna do it differently now (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's it though have you ever expanded or evolved in a way where you've had to go oh, hang on a second, have I done that because that's what I wanted to do or because that's what business, in inverted commas, the kind of blueprint for what an agency should be doing? Mm. Does that make sense? No, no, I, I absolutely understand. I think when we launched the Influencer and Artist Division, that was something that I wasn't 100% clear on, didn't really understand but saw that it was picking momentum up and saw crossover in models that were influencers and influencers who are models and and the lines are getting a little bit blurred. So I think when we launched that division, I wasn't ready at the time for it. I didn't know what it meant. I was sort of just trying to say, look, we do these kinds of bookings as well, but we hadn't really understood what the industry was about, what the rules and regulations were. So that's definitely a prime example where, you know, we launched it, but we didn't give it enough momentum at the time. And, and it was something that we kind of then reevaluated and sort of relaunched when we sort of dedicated Mariam and Adam to that team. We were like, hang on, this needs to actually be reviewed and, and it has to have a dedicated team looking at it. But that didn't happen straight away. It was just sort of trying to tick a, an option for our clients, not really understanding what it was and not really fully grasping it. So I think that is an area that we could have definitely done differently at the time and, mm. and sort of really invested a little bit more in. Yeah, I think the, the th- I think um, it's always interesting, like hindsight's really good like that. But there's something um, to be said, though, for going for it, like seizing the opportunity, even though you might not necessarily have wholly grasped it there's something really special about that whole process right yeah absolutely it's one of those things where you never know until you try and I think we were really lucky with some of the other initiatives that we've done so I think that had a really huge impact for us but yeah I do think you know you don't know until you give it a go you don't know what response you're going to get and I think it's about making sure you regularly check in on yourself and you go okay well how's it actually doing and we're getting good responses but can we do more I think when we first launched it we didn't do that enough definitely 
Yeah, amazing. Charlotte, going forward then, what's the kind of goals for Bridge like in your head right now? Where do you see it going? Is this something that you think you'll be running 10, 20 years down the line? I think with Bridge, I really want to have a structure, especially with the team where we do expand, we do get more people on board. And I really want to sort of have a very company supportive structure, you know, where they're part of the company, they're invested in the company, you know, one where they're really sort of that team mentality. I think areas that I'd love to expand into is a little bit more into the events, sort of being able to put together the shows or the events that I want to see and and be able to, to be a part of that process. You know, we've spoken quite a lot about getting involved with young designers and actually encouraging them at the stage at, at university to be looking at, hey, have you thought about designing different collections for you know, different sized people and, and what would that involve and, and what do you need to be inclusive? So sort of looking at how as a company we can get more involved, not just with the representation of our models and influencers, but how we can get more involved in contributing and consulting a little bit more in the industry. Mm, uh, yeah, that's such an amazing idea because it's just even on all the kind of sewing shows and fashion shows, it is they're always designing for just the kind of stereotypical model size yeah yeah and it definitely does start there because that's where everybody learns how to do it and you pattern cut to one certain size if you want to do something different you have to teach yourself how to do it so that's something that I would really like to sort of get involved in and find out how we can best support it and do initiatives going forward yeah no that's amazing looking back then and just wrapping up what are you most proud of in this journey and No, let's leave it there. I'll come on to the next question. (laughs) I'm like, I've got so much to say. (laughs) What am I most proud of on this journey? Oh, crikey. That means you have to reflect and and be positive about stuff. It's hard. I feel like we can't leave it in all the challenges. Otherwise, it'd be the most doom and gloom podcast. Like, don't run a business, people. (laughs) I feel like I always have to bring it up at the end. (laughs) Like, there is a reason why we do this. No, of course. Um, I think one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of is the men's board is is opening up that conversation for men and realizing that it needed to be done when it did. I think I'm proud of what I've learned on that journey. And mm. that's been a really amazing experience. But that's definitely something that, you know, in years to come, if Bridge is no more or anything along those lines, that's something that I would feel incredibly proud about that we took the initiative as a small company, did something even though it wasn't being done. And that it's now expanded and other companies are doing it and other agencies. And I feel like that's something I need to sort of reflect on a little bit more and feel a little bit more proud of. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I think it's like, it goes back to why I just feel, and I know so many people feel so passionately about the fact that like, it's no longer, I don't know, it just doesn't feel acceptable is the wrong word but just comfortable in 2021 to be running a business solely for profit like having that impact Mm. that you're having that provides so much value yeah and like just makes it all so much more worth it right yeah and it's so much more motivational because also you know you can have figures and you can have an end of year report and you can have a number that says the word profit but as we all know that gets reinvested back into the company. You know, it's the word profit, I personally feel is sometimes misleading because it's like, okay, well, that was because we were being conservative, but that money now needs to go back in and it needs mm. to go here. And, you know, and you've always got to have reserve funds in case something goes wrong. So 
there's times when, yeah, it's, it's easy to sort of think, oh, you know, doing it for profit. But I think what gets you through the stressful times that you feel when it's your own company is being able to feel proud and to be able to know that you're making a bit of a difference and to feel passionate about the subject you're talking about. Because there has been dark days when you're having to negotiate contracts or convince clients that, no, this is right. And you think, God, do I know what I'm talking about? And yeah, it's, is that um, right? <laughs> you kind of question it. Yeah, is it right? And uh, do I know what I want to Yeah, so it's definitely definitely something that is really important because you can look at figures, but that's not enough to make you want to get up every day and Mm. work every night and do all of that. You've got to feel passionate about something. So it's really important to notice that and reflect back, but I'm not the best at it. I need to remind myself of that, definitely. I feel like there must be, if you sat down and listed everything you've achieved over the past seven years, the list would be endless. But what do I know? eh? (laughs) I'm also really interested, Charlotte, in what this whole experience past seven years has taught you about yourself. I think it's taught me definitely about my strengths and weaknesses and being honest with myself. I think I've learned positives and negatives I definitely struggle with not letting the negatives get me down and I've realized that I I sometimes get too invested I need a little bit more variety in my life sometimes so I've realized that having just one project actually sometimes drains me quite a lot to not be able to have the passion for the subject that I want Mm. so I've learned that quite a bit and I think what I've also learned is just that I need to trust my own gut instinct on certain things. And I know that I'm motivated enough to do something. And I think I never really saw that value when I was working at other companies. I was always trying to prove it and prove it and prove it. But when the results are results that that you've driven yourself, that sort of shows you that you're on the right track anyway. Mm, I think like gut instinct is so powerful like that. And there's times, I don't know about you, where you kind of know deep down, but it's an uncomfortable one. But like, you know mm. that you need to do something and it's kind of like I don't want to listen to it but I know I need to and then yeah. kind of yeah. always always look back and you're like I'm glad I did that yes yeah Love exactly that. I'm conscious of time but you just said something in terms of getting that balance right but do you switch off like what does self-care look like or downtime what do you do how do you split the week up Yeah, for me, it's, and it sounds very silly, it's me, it's having another project is how I switch off. It's having something, whether it's, you know, an interior design project or, you know, doing some gardening or or giving myself other physical tasks that I can see progress of straight away. You know, when you're doing a job like this one, I'm not making something physical. I'm sending loads of emails and I'm making calls but I'm not seeing the progress. And I think I find that really hard to then switch off, but I do like a good physical job or physical project. So whether it's gardening, whether it's redecorating, whether it's getting creative or doing something more art related with with physical materials, I can see something progress from start to finish. And that for me actually feels quite therapeutic in a world where I communicate to loads of people I know I've got lots done but I can't see it and I can't touch it and I think I find that really hard to switch off definitely no one's ever articulated it like that with a service-based business but that's so so true it is you get to the end of the day and you, you know that you've put the hours in or you've done what you needed to do but it's that kind of it takes time you might see it the benefits of that three six months down the line and it's kind of yeah it's a tough one Charlotte, honestly, I've absolutely loved this. Last question before we end on the statements. Actually, no, I'll tie that into the statement. I will start and I'd like you to finish them, please. Being my own boss means? Being my own boss means being your own critic because no one else is going to criticise you. So you have to be your own critic. Yeah. 
Does no one criticise you? No, no, no. I don't know. Maybe I don't know why. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like nobody's going to tell me if I've done something wrong. And sometimes you need that. So I need to be the person to turn around and go, I could have done that better. Yeah. And I think that's easy to not do and dust over it. But I think you learn the most when you're being your own critic as well. Yeah, absolutely. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to step away and do something practical, do a project, something that takes your mind off it, whether it's a physical activity or something, and then readdress. Don't keep planning away at it because the answer is not going to come from there. Yeah, absolutely. If I could describe myself as a businesswoman, I'd say that I am. Tenacious. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Anything else? I would say I'm tenacious and that I'm also a bit of a softie. doesn't always work out to my own benefit, but yeah, tenacious and a bit of a softie. I think it's such a strength. If I could go back to day one of my business, I'd tell myself. To take more time. Take more time for yourself because, yes, I I put loads and loads of hours in, but I think there were areas that if I would have taken a step back and reevaluated, didn't need my attention or projects you do and you put loads in and you're like, you know what, that didn't return a certain value. I think it's very easy to just start going 100 miles an hour and not stop and reflect. So I think it would have been really, I think I would have benefited a lot more and made some better decisions if I'd have taken more time out to sort of reflect and look back. Yeah, absolutely. It's so hard, isn't it? Because it's like everyone says it. And I think it's such a struggle. And it's always hindsight that gives everyone that perspective of doing that. But when you're in the moment, it is so hard. But very, very last question, Charlotte, I want my legacy to be that. That we don't use the term plus size or big and tall. And there's just no need for vocabulary for anybody when they're shopping or or when they're being represented. There shouldn't be different departments or different sections. You know, it should just have choice and not feel segregated. We're all segregated enough as it is. You know, we do it to ourselves. So it would be great to have that legacy in some way, shape or form, even if it's just a contribution. Love that so much. Honestly, I feel like that was a perfect start to my Friday. I feel like I'm super inspired. So thank you. Thank you I guess so it's very much. therapeutic. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely, it's such an inspiring story. So thank you. Thank you so much to Pleo once again for sponsoring this episode and for going that extra bit further to support female business owners by handing over the mic to our amazing members during this episode's ad space. As one of their 15,000 customers, I know full well we're in safe hands with this one. It really is a game changer for how we manage expenses. So I highly recommend taking advantage of their special offer for She Can, She Did listeners and seeing for yourself what all the fuss is about. Get your first three months free by heading to pleo.io now and make sure to mention the she can she did podcast on your demo the link's in the show notes now i cannot wait to hear what you think thank you so much for listening to that episode if you happen to enjoy it please do feel free to subscribe rate review tell a friend etc etc i'm sure you know how it works by now but it really does help to give the series a little boost and i for one would be so unbelievably grateful for now though have a lovely day and please do keep a lookout for next week's episode